0: And welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice-weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week. Six years and hundreds of episodes, both in audio and video, all designed, produced, and released with the intention of making you a better leader. Franklin Covey's mission is to inspire people to achieve their own great purposes. We have a four-decade history of working with leaders at all levels and organizations around the world as the world's most trusted leadership company. I have been privileged to have been associated with this firm for nearly 30 years, and in my sixth year in the seat of this podcast, it's an enormous honor that all of you are continuing to listen and watch and refer and promote the podcast. Thank you for your loyalty. We hope every week to shine Franklin Covey's megawatt spotlight on not just our own internal thought leaders, but in the spirit of our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who had a great model and passion in life for having an abundance mentality, we love to interview and spotlight leaders that have similar principles, similar objectives of making you a better leader. Today's guest is Matt Abrahams. His current book is titled Think Faster, Talk Smarter. It is a compliment to his wildly successful podcast titled Think Fast Talk Smart. The premise of this book is helping you to be more successful when you're put on the spot, to talk better extemporaneously. You may know Matt as a lecturer at the Graduate um, School of Business at Stanford. He has a very popular podcast and TED Talk, has written other books. He is one of the world's most iconic experts when it comes to being a better communicator and today we're going to roll up our sleeves and get very tactical on all things communication Matt welcome to On Leadership I'm thrilled to be here Scott thank you Matt super excited about the practicality of today's podcast because there are there are some podcast episodes that are you know intentionally very ethereal and academic they make you think about Uh, your own mindset, today we're gonna get super practical. This current book called Think Faster, Talk Smarter, its premise is helping people to become more well-spoken, if you will, uh, spontaneously. But Matt, let me challenge you uh, as we open. In a world that's getting faster, not slower, where relationships are becoming more important, where your brand, your thoughtfulness is much more important, Is it at all counterintuitive to think that we should be teaching people how to thrive in the chaos or thrive in the moment as opposed to maybe just being a little more deliberate, a little more contemplative? Uh, It's kind of a provocative question, but I'd love to have you answer that. Do people really need to think faster or should we be thinking slower? Should people take more time between stimulus and response or should people be, be ready to put in the spotlight? Take that wherever you'd like to go. Well, I appreciate the
1: conundrum for sure. The point of thinking faster is really about pattern recognition. Mm. How can I, in the moment, identify what's going on and what's needed? And I think that helps you in a more deliberative, slower interaction, just like it helped you in a more high-paced, fast response needed situation. So thinking faster simply means observing what's needed, understanding the moment the nuance and then responding appropriately now that appropriate response might be thoughtful deliberative and slow or it might be a quick yes no or that needs to change if it's in the case of feedback so i don't know that the 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 idea and the methodology varies based on the speed with which the actual interaction occurs
0: you know, I, you used the word conundrum. I, I, I loved your book because it kind of spoke to one of the things I do well in life. There are many things I don't do well. You can ask Stephanie Miller, uh, that's mm-hmm. my wife. But let me share a, a situation with you. For many years, I was privileged to serve on Franklin Covey's executive team as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president of thought leadership. One of my talents is speaking well under pressure. I'm a fairly creative person, sufficiently well-read, and after having interviewed thousands of people across radio programs and podcasts, you know, I've learned a thing or two from other people. One of my talents is the guy who raises his hand first, who has you know, an immediate opinion, I weigh in, and I think, and one aspect is part of my, it's like a power skill of mine, And another, I think it sometimes undermines my credibility because I'm always the guy that has the first answer and oh, oh, choose me, versus perhaps some of my more deliberate contemplative colleagues that speak last. They ask more thoughtful questions. They make sure that their solution is addressing the problem. Talk to how this book might help people who find themselves like me who think this is a superpower, but sometimes it actually might be undermining our very credibility.
1: I like that you're even thinking about that, the, the fact that how and when we speak up really does say something about us and it it might preclude others from sharing as well. The book talks about a six step methodology that I developed in the job I do at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. It actually came as a result of the need of our students who were really struggling with that cold call where the professor looks at you and says, what do you think? And these amazingly bright students who actually knew the answer we're struggling. One of the major steps in the methodology is listening, is to slow down and to actually listen to what is needed so that you can respond appropriately. And in that chapter and in that step, I teach a methodology or a a process that I borrow from one of my colleagues. His name is, is Collins Dobbs. And it has three steps, pace, space, grace. When we are put on the spot, we need to listen to better understand what it is we need to do to respond. We need to slow things down. We move very quickly, slow down, figure out what's going on. Second, we we slow the pace, we then need to give ourselves space, mental space, to formulate our response, to think about what's needed in the moment. And then finally, grace. We need to give ourselves permission to listen to our intuition, to allow others to speak, And that's how we can respond more appropriately. So for those of us who, by virtue of our inherent talent or through experience, who are used to going first, sometimes the best thing we can do is pause and wait. You know, I borrowed a lot from lots of field of study, psychology, anthropology, neuroscience, as well as the field of improvisation. And in improv, they have this wonderful saying, don't just do something, stand there. Sometimes the most important thing we can do is pause, think, and then respond. So being able to toggle between having an immediate response and being very thoughtful and contemplative, that's where I think the true power is, is the ability to choose in the moment which of those two approaches makes the most sense.
0: Matt, you are a well-recognized communication consultant, speaker, your classes at Stanford, your podcast, your previous books on speaking, of all of the, topics in the realm of communication, why was this the one you honed in on for this book? What was the circumstance or need specifically you were seeing out there that this was where you put your latest research and kind of the whole force of your expertise behind?
1: When you think about it, most of our communication happens in the moment. It's not planned. It's not the planned speech, the pitch, the meeting with the agenda. Most of what happens in both our professional and personal lives is spontaneous. Someone asks a question, asks for feedback. You make small talk. You have to introduce yourself. You're asked to give a toast in the moment. These types of communication are the communication we find ourselves doing most of the time, and they're the ones that we have the least amount of training for. So the need was apparent. We need to find ways to feel more comfortable and confident with this in-the-moment speaking, and that's what initiated the writing of the book and the sharing of the methodology it contains.
0: Your title is Think Faster, Talk Smarter. Obvious question. What are some tips that you would give our listeners and viewers first on thinking faster in the moment?
1: Right. So uh, the methodology has six steps. The first four steps are all about mindset shift. And it is these mindset shifts that allow you to recognize the patterns that are happening. So you can respond more quickly if you choose. So the first step has to do with managing anxiety. Many people get nervous speaking in general, but even more so when they're put on the spot. So we have to manage anxiety. The second step is we have to do what I call maximizing mediocrity. Many of us in our communication want to do it the best we can. We want to give the right answer, the best feedback. We want to be the most interesting in small talk. And instead of that, we just have to strive to get it done. Just respond to the question. Just give the feedback. And by maximizing mediocrity, we actually put a priority on connection over perfection. In other words, we free up bandwidth to actually focus on what we're doing. We need to see these interactions as positive, as collaborative. Many of us, when we're put on the spot, feel very defensive. And if we can see these as opportunities, not threats, it fundamentally changes. And then finally, the way to think faster is to do that listening I talked about, pace, space, and grace. So if we manage anxiety, get out of our own way, see these as opportunities, and listen well, we will think faster and respond better.
0: Matt, step outside of this particular book for a moment and draw upon your broader experience as a communication expert. We hear so much about connecting with the audience, whether you're giving a town hall speech, whether you're giving an update in your company, you're giving a, you know, a, a speech at a World Business Forum or an Economic Forum, and to me, it's still a very ethereal concept for most people that are speaking. Could you take a moment and just bring some practicality to mean? to around what does it mean to connect with your audience? I mean, how do you connect with your audience? You're behind the room in the green room. They call you out. You're mic'd up. You're introduced. You come on. There's 800 people. There are 8,000, and you've got to, you know, get their attention the first couple of seconds. They're making judgments about you. How the hell are you connecting with your audience? You've never met them before. You know why they're there. You know the theme of the conference. But can you speak to an issue I think everybody has is, How do I connect with my audience when there wasn't a cocktail party 30 minutes prior to my speech?
1: It is a big challenge in connection, especially when virtual and distant, it makes it even harder. Couple things to think about. First, if you can make your topic and content relevant to the audience, you will connect better. What's important for them? which means we have to avoid the fundamental mistake that most communicators make. We focus on what we want to say rather than what the audience needs to hear. So by focusing on relevance and really thinking what is the most salient and important thing I'm communicating for them, that will help. That will make it more interesting and engaging. Second, there are a set of tools we can use to really pull the audience in, to, to develop what those of us who study this academically call immediacy, that's that connection. Do something physical, take a poll, get people watching something or looking at something where people's bodies go, their minds follow. Second, use stories, analogies, questions that gets people mentally engaged. Finally, use language. Words can be very engaging. Use terms like you, us, and we. We've all been trained since we were little kids that when we hear you, us, we, we pay attention more use what I call time traveling language. Rather than me telling you something, I could say, imagine what it would be like if, what if you could, picture this. That is all language that is engaging, that connects you. You see it in your mind's eye rather than me telling you. So we have to start from a place of relevance for our audience. We use physical, mental, and linguistic engagement tools. That's how you connect. I guarantee you any speaker that you find engaging is doing those four things. Their topic is relevant. They've got you doing something physically, mentally, and linguistically.
0: Matt, I wanna belabor this because I, I, I like where you're going with this. Like you, I probably give about 50 keynotes a year. And mm-hmm. some of them are more extemporaneous than others, depends upon the content. Like you, I've, I've been the privilege to write a few books. Do you have a formula of what your first 10 seconds sounds like and the next 30 seconds, like do you, do you have a proven formula for most people who aren't as, re- as um, I don't have as many reps as you do, I don't want to say rehearsed, for everybody who's feeling a little uneasy about their next speech, presentation, keynote, whatever level they're at, break that down a little, what are some foolproof formulas for your opening minute or two? First do this, then do that, then follow this.
1: Sure. So I'm a huge fan of structure and frameworks. So this is this is a a very logical question to be asked and to answer. You know, many of us struggle to go from silence to brilliance that that first moment of speaking. I like to always make it about the audience. So I will somehow start with some way to get them involved. It might be a poll. It might be a story. It might be recounting some shared experience. So if I'm speaking at a conference and there was some big keynote before mine, I might refer to it. But something to connect to the audience, something to get their attention. I am on a personal mission to stop presentations and meetings from starting like this. Hi, my name is and today I'm going to talk about. That's boring, it's banal, and how everybody starts. So start with some way of engaging the audience, a question, a story, something that's relevant. Immediately from there, explain the relevance of what you're going to say and the value people will get from it. People need, getting attention is not as hard as sustaining attention. So once I get your attention, I then have to share what value you're going to take, which makes it relevant so you'll be more engaged. And then I need to lay out a groundwork, a way of knowing where we're going. When I was in college, I was a tour guide. It was the highest paying job I could get, and I was desperate for money. One thing we were taught very clearly to be a successful tour guide on my college campus was never, ever to lose our tour group. If you've got people lost, you're a lousy tour guide. The same thing is true with us as communicators. We have to set expectations. People need to know where they're going so they don't get lost and they can focus. So start in a way that's relevant and engaging, explain the value of what you're saying, give a a foreshadowing of where you're going. And that's how you start a successful meeting, a successful pitch, a successful presentation.
0: Matt, where do most speakers lose their audience? Is there an inflection point that everybody could say, hey, quicksand, watch out for this, have a strategy?
1: My mother has this wonderful saying. I know she did not create it, but it's tell me the time, don't build me the clock. Many people lose their audiences when they become clock builders. They give too much detail. They get into the weeds too quickly. So the quicksand that we have to avoid is giving too much detail. We need to give enough to explain and help people understand. And then we need to make that content relevant, give examples, ask questions questions so people stay with us. If people want more information, we have to provide them avenues to ask, but simply giving them too much information and listing that information as just a set of points or, or bullets on a slide, that's where you lose people. Our brains are not wired for long lists of information and lots of nitty gritty detail. That's not how we're wired. So let's not work against the brain's natural way of taking in information.
0: Matt, one of my mantras as a leader, perhaps to my team's horror, when I say mantra, I mean obsession, is I want the highest value information in the fewest number of words. And I sort Mm -hmm. of like drill this to the point of annoyance with my team. Don't repeat the question to me while you're buying time to think of your answer. Perhaps rehearse your answer and come out. It may be a yes or no question. It may be a percentage. Perhaps you agree or disagree with that, but my obsession is highest value information, fewest number of words. We can go and have a drink later at Olive Garden or wherever and talk for an hour about you know, you know, the eagles and the dolphins, or I guess it's the buccaneers, sorry, sorry buccaneers. My point is, is there any advice you might give people on how to create greater brevity in their answers without buying time winding up or giving extraneous information?
1: I call this the F word of communication, focus. We have to be focused. In in our world today, there's so much information being concise and clear is critical. And I applaud your efforts to help people really prioritize what they're saying. A couple things come to mind that would help. First, remembering what's relevant and important for your audience. Start there. Think to yourself, what's the bottom line of what I want to get across? And build your content from that bottom line. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, leverage a structure. A structure is nothing more than a logical beginning, middle, and an end. And when you have a structure, it makes you more concise and it ties things together better, and it's more memorable. Let me give you an example. My favorite structure in the entire world, I dedicate a lot of time in the book to it, is three simple questions. What, so what, now what? So Scott, when you ask your employees to give you an update, if you were to teach them what, so what, now what, they will be more concise. What is the update? So what is, why is it important? Now what is, what will they do next? Similarly, you could use a structure if you asked one of your colleagues for feedback, what is your feedback? So what is why the feedback is important. Now what is what you'd like them to do differently or continue doing? Having a structure when paired with relevance and starting from the bottom line is what leads us to be more concise and clear in our communication.
0: I think my favorite part of this book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, is your section you call Rocking the Q&A. And (laughs) you share what I think is a brilliant structure. I'm going to read it out loud to you, and I'm going to ask maybe if you'll either role-play it or demonstrate how this actually can happen. Again, this section is called Rocking the Q&A. Your words say, craft your content. When answering questions in the moment, You can add value for audience members by following a simple method I call ADD. A, answer the question. First, answer the question in a single, clear declarative sentence. D, detail an example. Second, provide specific, concrete evidence that supports your answer. And then third, D, describe the value. Finally, provide the benefits that explain why your answer is relevant and salient to the asker. I'm gonna ask you an inane question right now, and I'd like for you to just, you know, do your best to practice the ADD response. Matt, why did you write this book titled, Think Faster, Talk Smarter?
1: I wrote the book Think Faster, Talk Smarter to help people speak better in the moment when they have to respond immediately. If you think about it, most of our communication is spontaneous. It's apologizing. It's making small talk. It's introducing people, giving feedback, even answering questions. Those who read this book and spend time practicing its methodology and following its advice will be better and more effective in those moments that most of us feel panic when we have to respond spontaneously. You'll notice there, and I'll dissect it. I answered the question. I said I wrote it because of the need to spontaneous speak. I then gave concrete examples of what spontaneous speaking was, and then ultimately I said how people who would follow the book, read the book, follow the methodology, would benefit. ADD is one of many structures in the book for very specific spontaneous speaking situations. It makes my life easier. When I have to respond in the moment, I have to think about what to say and how to say it, It tells me how I'm going to say it, so my job just got half as hard. I only have to think about what to put into the structure. So thank you for that opportunity to demonstrate a structure and how it can help.
0: I think a communication challenge that everybody can relate to is what you said is, we just give too much context, right? We teach you how to build the clock versus tell you the time. We had a guest earlier uh, in the year that talked about, there is research that shows that women tend to speak exponentially more words than men do during the day. And I'm sure this is a topic that not everyone will agree about, not my research, someone else's, that the research shows is that one of the reasons why women speak so much more in the workplace than men do is because probably the institutionalized prejudice against women in the workplace, they feel more need to defend themselves and um, add more context, that instead of answering a question, they'll usually say, Well, here's why I think this, and the research shows that when men will just say 48% or yes or no, regardless of the gender dynamics there, what are some tips you might right now give everyone, including me, who's a very verbose speaker? My my questions are sometimes longer than the answers of our guests. I recognize this. What are some immediate ways that all of us can build the confidence to become more clear, more, more concise in both our questions and our answers?
1: So first, I think, is reflecting on individuals that you respect and how they answer questions and relay information. Most of us put a premium on people who are efficient in their communication. That is, they get their point across in an efficient, clear, concise, meaningful way. So reminding yourself that there's value in communicating that way. Second, we need to start by thinking about what is the the most important thing we want to say and get across in this moment. And we build our messaging from there, again, leveraging a structure. Many of us have a top-down approach where we think we have to explain everything to get to our point. Actually start with the point and build up from there. And that way you can be more concise and judge and evaluate how people are receiving your message so you can make adjustments. If I'm talking and it looks like you get it, then I don't have to keep talking. I can move on to a different point or return the the floor to you. So by starting from the bottom line, the key essence of what you're trying to get and building from there, it helps you to be more concise and clear as well as thinking about those who you really respect and noticing what they do. Those two tools I think are the most effective way to be clear and concise in asking questions and answering questions.
0: Matt, as my profile as an author and speaker and podcast host has become more public, there's a direct correlation with the amount of feedback that I receive, typically unsolicited. I mean, I don't think Reddit would exist if I didn't have a podcast for Franklin Covey, and I think I'm keeping thank glass door. Thank
1: you for fully supporting Reddit. That,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my claim to fame is like Reddit, right? Um, and we typically turn off the comments on YouTube because they'll just go on and on and on. My point is, You you dedicate a lot of your writing and research to the the power of asking for and providing feedback, whether you are giving feedback to a speaker or a member of your team or perhaps a subordinate or even a superior. Uh, Not the first guest to weigh in on effective ways to give feedback, but who can't learn more about that? Spend a few minutes and talk about some of the areas that you think our listeners might find valuable on both providing and receiving feedback.
1: Well, I believe feedback is a really important way of learning and growing, both giving and getting feedback. To me, feedback is a constructive feedback, is a problem to be solved. So when something is going awry or not the way I wanted, my goal is to present that to you in a way that you will work with me to collaborate to fix or remedy the situation which means I need to present the information in a way that is inviting to you rather than off-putting and making you defensive. So we have to think about things in advance of giving the feedback. We have to be very specific about what it is we want to see. What's the change we're looking for? Many of us are just so frustrated. We just want it different, but we have to be very clear. And what we suggest has to be actionable. Next, we have to think to ourselves, what might lead the person to be doing what they're doing or not doing what they're doing? We might give very different feedback based on our understanding of what's motivating that behavior. If you have an employee who's constantly coming in late and you learn it's because they're taking care of their elderly ill relative, your feedback, you need them on time, you need them doing their work, might be different than if they're just out skiing on the slopes. So we have to think about what might be motivating the behavior. That serves as input for the feedback we give. Now, your feedback should be clear and concise. I love the structure, what, so what, now what? Imagine, Scott, you and I come out of a meeting and you say, hey, Matt, how'd that meeting go? I might say, Scott, I thought you did very well in the meeting except when you talked about the implementation plan. You spoke quickly and didn't give as much detail as you did elsewhere in your presentation. That's my what. When you speak quickly, without giving a lot of detail, people might think you don't know that area as well as you really do. That's the so what. Next time, I'd like you to slow down and include these two additional bits of information. That's the now what. So by understanding what might be motivating your issue, understanding the specifics of what I want different to be different I then structure the message in a way that is intelligible and actionable by you. That I believe is the most effective way to give feedback. The last thing I'll say is, feedback should not be one and done. You should be giving feedback, positive, constructive all the time, so that when you give really difficult feedback, it is seen in the context of all the other feedback that you've been giving rather than just one time only.
0: Matt, let's finish with a speed round. Got it. The most influential communicators do what one thing?
1: They make it relevant to their audience. They package it up and they make it relevant to their audience so the audience sees the value in it.
0: The, The biggest miss that communicators consistently have in common when they don't move the audience in their direction is what?
1: The biggest miss when people don't move the audience is they don't readjust and and adapt. When they see that they're not going down the path, they just keep going and going and they they just make further mistakes for themselves. If you're not hitting the mark, you must adjust and adapt in the moment. That's why thinking faster and talking smarter is so important.
0: When, When someone makes a mistake or they stumble or fail or have a faux pas, the best way to recover from that is what?
1: So this one's a little nuanced. So most of the time I would say, just keep going. Many of us get hung up on it. We assume that our audience knows what we could have or should have said when in fact they don't. So what we think is a big mistake often isn't. Now, there are certainly times where we actually do make a mistake that's quite significant. And in that case, in the moment, we need to apologize and correct. But for most of us, just keep going Chances are the audience won't notice, and if they do, they'll forgive you because really your audience wants you to be successful. They're there to learn or take value from you.
0: When you're speaking and you say something that perhaps is inappropriate, worded the wrong way, maybe it was funny in your head, but it came out offensive, how long is too long to address it in a public audience?
1: I think you need to do it as close to immediate as possible unless there's some reason why that doesn't make sense. Timeliness to response of of a faux pas or mistake or or insult uh, is really important. So, too, is the public nature of it. If I make that, if the error occurs in public, the response should occur in public. If it occurs in private, then the response should occur in private. Uh, You want to make sure that there's congruence there.
0: The necessity of having visuals support your speech is appropriate when?
1: Whenever you're trying to do three things, amplify, clarify, or really rectify something is when you need to have visuals. Many of us use visuals simply as a tool to remind ourselves of what to say, a teleprompter, if you will. That's not the purpose of visuals. Visuals are to help your audience better understand what you're saying. So it's not for you, it's for them. And the guiding principle is less is more. What's the least amount of information I can put on a visual to help my audience understand what I'm trying to say.
0: The skill everyone needs to master when they are speaking virtually versus in person is what?
1: I'm gonna cheat and give two. Concision, we have to be more concise when we're virtual and we have to be engaging. Physical, mental, and linguistic engagement. You've got to keep people focused on your message and on the screen and engagement tools help you do that.
0: You want everyone who reads this book think faster, talk smarter, or listens or watches this podcast to take away what one key action item?
1: All of us can get better at our spontaneous speaking. It takes three things, repetition, reflection, and feedback. And in so doing, we can be more comfortable and confident. We have the ability to prepare ourselves to be spontaneous and be successful in our communication.
0: Matt Abrahams, lecturer at Stanford University, host of the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast, and the new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, how to speak successfully when you're put on the spot. Man, you were a great model today. Matt, thanks for joining us, appreciate your time.
1: Scott, thank you, it was a lot of fun.
0: And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership.